Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress, and I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome. This is Tell Me Everything. So nice to be with you. For the next three hours, we're taking your calls, fixing everything, hopefully having a laugh along the way at 866-997-4748. And we love you like racist love attacking the word woke. (laughs) Um, The great John Nichols of the nation returns to our airwaves tonight to discuss, well, uh, just everything going on in politics these days, including... What is going on with Liz Cheney, and would a possible third-party presidential run hurt Trump more, or would it hurt the person who's running against Trump more? Would she take conservative votes away from Trump, or would she just take votes away from whoever the non-Trump candidate is? That's one of the big questions I have to ask uh, our distinguished guest, Mr. Nichols. Also, of course, Ron Johnson. For my money, the dumbest senator. Uh, again, if you, one of y'all want to challenge me on this, I welcome your calls, please. But I've, I've interviewed the senator from Wisconsin. He's shockingly dumb. But what's amazing is to see how in Wisconsin, the Democratic Party's unity, as all the different candidates who are going against them, are beginning to coalesce and show us what happens when Dems are in uh, array. He also has a great piece on Pete Seeker. So lots of politics with Mr. John Nichols, Chris Houseltz, our executive producer, coming at you live from the South Carolina studios. Thea Harper runs this beast from uh, the Brooklyn studios, and great to be in studio with Thea on Friday. I almost got killed by a taxi cab on the way up, and I was very shaken, bruised, bruised, but okay. And Thea was a, a wonderful producer and calmed me and, um, and you know, just uh, uh, talked me off a ledge. So thank you, Ms. Harper. Yeah, I got hit by a cab on my scooter on the way down. It's good times. <laughs> it's great the COVID's done. Let's get to it. Uh, he- here's the deal, guys. I'm so glad you're with us. We have a lot to get to on the show tonight. Donald Trump is the tumor that is gradually eating its host organism. Are we going to be able to let it continue to consume the host organism before it spreads elsewhere? Well, let's talk about it, because we just found out Trump had more than 300 classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. This just came through in the last hour. National Archives found more than 150 sensitive documents when they got their first batch of material back from Trump in January. Which kind of helps explain why the Justice Department was, well, urgent. Our right-wing friends say, what do you mean urgent? They waited over a year. Well, because they tried many times. They tried asking nicely, then they tried a subpoena. 
Then they tried a very legal search warrant that had probable cause. It wasn't a raid. It wasn't a break-in. Donald Trump is lying to raise funds off of that. Now, the initial batch of documents they got from Trump in January had more than, as we mentioned, 150 documents marked as classified, which apparently flipped a switch over at DOJ and got people really worried that he had more. It directly led to the FBI agents swooping into Mar-a-Lago later on this month. In total, our government has recovered more than 300 documents with classified markings from Trump since he left office. The first batch they got in January... After that, and they realized there were more, they sent a subpoena. Trump's lawyers, what's the word I'm looking for, lied and said there was nothing left. So then they seized even more. That's the material the FBI just took in the search this month. So Trump today has now filed a motion asking that the Department of Justice stop sorting the seized evidence until, you ready, a special master can be appointed to oversee it. Yes, when you're that into S&M and the Confederacy, you want a special master. Didn't this search happen two weeks ago? Donald Trump waited two weeks just to file this, this motion saying stop sorting it. I'm not much of a lawyer, but I think he should have filed it that day, except Donald Trump. Guys, remember, anytime you hear anything, remember, Donald Trump's conned by his lawyers the way Donald Trump's everyone else. He's been a con man his whole life, and now billable hours are the con being run on him. And friends... This, what we're seeing here today, this could be as good as Trump's week gets. Let's talk about how awful the Sunday morning shows are. Um, You know, Brian Stelter's ratings were just fine. But there's a new right-wing billionaire on the board of uh, Warner Discovery, and that's the person who wanted Brian Stelter gone. So, uh, okay, it's going to be weird watching CNN as they try to go more to the right. I predict we'll see CNN take a sharp right-wing turn for the next six months. It will not help their ratings, and then they'll drop it. Just watch. The only bias in news is towards numbers, eyeballs, ratings, profit. But here's Dan Crenshaw with Jake Tapper. Now, now listen to this. Jake Tapper, he doesn't really have to say too much. Dan Crenshaw is one of these hardcore MAGAs, and then he came out and told the truth that Joe Biden really won the election and MAGA turned on him. This guy's a veteran who lost an eye, and I believe it was Tucker Carlson called him Patch McCain. The cult is very vicious. If you tell the truth. So here's Dan Crenshaw, who hates Donald Trump. Okay, just keep that in mind. He does not like Donald Trump. Here he is, nervously defending Donald Trump. And just listen to it collapse. And as he gets nervous under the mildest questioning possible from Jake Tapper on CNN. And look, again, why not just ask him? Why not just ask him? Didn't they? I thought they'd been negotiating and trying to get the information from him. And and, and and he cooperated. He he didn't turn over boxes and boxes of material, as far as the Justice Department says. But but he's been cooperating, and and, and I think he's on the record saying, whatever you need from us, just ask. It's great to see you guys. I mean, it was a very friendly environment. His lawyer said they didn't have any more classified information, and the Justice Department said, yes, you do. And they went and got got it. And the only reason we know about the raid was because Donald Trump announced it. Right. Well, I think we would have figured it out if, even if he hadn't. But look, yes, the lawyers, lawyers did sign that document. They have nothing left. Now, that's either a huge mistake on part of the lawyers. Um, but even if, it, even if it was nefarious, again, why not say, hey, we don't believe you. Now let us come back and let's go through these boxes again. There's tons of boxes here. I mean, do, we, do, do any of us really believe that Donald Trump is like reading his nuclear secrets on his bedside at night? Like, I, I, you know, there's an intent question here. And look how hard he's tra- look how hard he's trying to smear the raid while still saying we all know Trump's a dope. Look how hard he, this guy is trying to stretch. Uh, 
Dan Crenshaw knows better, but he's got to walk the line. He's got to stay loyal to MAGA, and yet he also wants to act like an adult. So he's, he's towing the line and carrying water for Trump, saying, Trump says, I'll do whatever you guys need. But that's what Trump always does. There's always the arm of plausible deniability. He said in the, in the, in the motion he filed, he will help in any way possible. But then he goes on his social media site, and all he's doing is pumping up distrust and hatred for law enforcement. Republicans are worried about this because when he was kind of fading from the news cycle just a little bit, they were able to talk about, well, what they want to talk about, right? Oh, media bias and uh, inflation, gas prices, uh, COVID regulations are too strong. These are all Ron DeSantis issues, right? Republicans are trying to move it to Ron DeSantis. Parents should have freedom and education and the media is biased and COVID is... They were gearing to be Ron DeSantis being the guy. What's happened friends in the last two weeks. It was two weeks ago today this lawful warrant search was executed and for two weeks straight Trump has been rolling around in mud like a happy piggy because once again he can play victim to the Republican base. Once again he can talk about the deep state bureaucracy that's out to get him. In reality they're just out to get the boxes of confidential stuff he stole. This is making some Republicans nervous because obviously they're afraid that Donald Trump will ruin their shot at cleaning up in the midterms. And think about it. You know, if if Trump's not in the mix, we're talking about inflation. We're talking about gas prices. We're talking about Biden's policies and have they worked? Should we give them time to work? We're not talking about any of that. If we're talking about Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is embarrassing himself in front of the court system over a warrant search that was not a raid, that was not a break-in. Well, congratulations, Republicans. Your party's now looking backwards instead of looking forward toward the election. And how is Trump helping? Well, remember last week on Friday, we played a clip from Mitch McConnell conceding that the Senate might stay in the hands of Democrats, that McConnell might never be the boss of the Senate again, at least not until his 90s, because uh, statewide elections, he said, voters preferred quality candidates. We played it last week. He said, I think there's probably a greater likelihood of a House flip than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Candidate quality. Now, we played that on Friday and told you it was a fuck you to Donald Trump. Donald Trump was smart enough to know that. Uh, McConnell didn't specify any candidates he thought were lacking in quality, but Trump went after him on his Truth Social, which is like Facebook for racists. Facebook is also Facebook for racists. Anyway, he did a post calling, calling, this is how Trump's helping. He's calling the leader of the Republican Senate a broken down hack because he's not fighting harder for Trump-endorsed Senate candidates. Trump-endorsed Senate candidates like Herschel Walker. Oh, Herschel. He was doing an event yesterday with the Republican Jewish Committee, and uh, it was reported that he was talking about a bunch of topics, including the Iran nuclear deal and the Inflation Reduction Act. And it turns out Herschel Walker, who honestly makes me ashamed to be an abusive misogynist with a head injury, uh, Herschel Walker was talking about the federal climate change bill and said, I'm going to quote him directly, they continue to try to fool you that they are helping you out, but they're not. Because a lot of money is going to trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? That's what Mitch McConnell was criticizing. That's what Donald Trump is defending. That's what the GOP is playing with. Now, yes, the Inflation Reduction Act does have a lot of spending on climate change, tax incentives for people to move to alternate energy 
sources, and part of the bill does include $150 million a year to plant trees in cities. So I guess that's what Herschel meant. But these are your candidates, GOP. Your Dr. Oz, your J.D. Vance, your Carrie Lake, and someone we haven't talked about enough, Scott Jensen. He's running to be the next Republican governor of Minnesota. And it turns out he thinks that his state's COVID-19 policies, well, they tried so hard to save the lives of Minnesota residents that kind of reminds Scott Jensen of Nazi Germany. So again, he's, he's literally comparing uh, trying to save people's lives in a plague to Kristallnacht. Okay, this is this is what we're up against, folks. The latest NBC News poll, which still shows Republicans have a lead in the generic congressional ballot, has a couple of points that are really worth looking at. And again, we invite you to join the conversation at 866-997-4748. I should mention we're joined tonight for this show by uh, the nation's John Nichols. A couple of points, though, to think about as we begin the midterm crunch. High gas prices was at the top of voters' list of concerns in May. But a few things have changed since then. There have been quite a bit of polls, and the latest NBC News poll shows that now gas prices have gone down substantially. Okay, The first set of January 6 committee hearings has wrapped up, and that's been really interesting. And then the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. As of now, voters no longer rank high gas prices as the most important issue. Now... Threats to democracy. For the first time, voters are ranking threats to democracy as more important than the cost of living. And on top of this, Democrats have almost completely eliminated the enthusiasm gap with Republicans. According to the NBC poll, 68% of Republicans have a high level of interest in the midterms, 66% for Democrats. The GOP was 17 points ahead in March. GOP was 8 points ahead in May. Now, They're only 2% ahead in terms of enthusiasm. Democrats are hoping that this FBI Trump Michigas is going to give them another opportunity to further distance themselves from Republicans because, hey, they can say, look at all this stuff we passed. Of course, that's dangerous because Trump eats up all the air in the room. Here's Mark Kelly, Democrat from Arizona, who's going to be running against Peter Thiel's winged monkey. (laughs) Blake Masters, who does complain about white replacement. This is Mark Kelly talking about the growing problem he finds with GOP candidates in his state. But notice the Democrat astronaut defends Republicans in general. Well, you know, unfortunately, I think right now that uh, the folks you mentioned have some really dangerous ideas uh, and they're not consistent with most most Arizonans, even most Republicans in Arizona. So, you know, I'm hoping we can move away from that. You know, my Republican colleagues that I talked to in the United States Senate, you know, I mean, these are good good people, you know, by and large, who are working really hard, and they don't need those dangerous ideas in the United States Senate. Now, keep in mind, regardless, Trump's winning. Maybe not against the Democrats, but he's winning against Republicans. Um, The early data in the last two weeks shows that the Mar-a-Lago search has made him much stronger in a potential 2024 primary for the GOP nomination, even though he's got all kinds of new legal problems. The NBC News poll that came out yesterday shows Trump has tightened his hold on Republicans. A lot of polls show him rising against Ron DeSantis, who had been doing really well. And a lot of anti-Trump Republican strategists were telling Axios they're terrified that the FBI search only helped Trump. One person said the fundraising effect has been huge. 
And uh, also to juice the base, Trump's fundraising techs are now saying the FBI was breaking into my home. They had a search warrant. But again, if you're on the Trump donor list, you probably don't have a big problem with lying. No, no. Again, the search warrant says that Trump was being investigated for potential Espionage Act violations. They carted away boxes of top secret classified documents. They didn't plant them there. So any fundraising boost Trump's getting right now might not mean anything in a few weeks or a few months. But right now, St. Anselm College in New Hampshire had a poll last week, which shows Trump has a huge lead over DeSantis, 50% to 29%. In June... University of New Hampshire polls showed DeSantis and Trump tied in June. Now it's 50 to 29 percent. And yesterday's NBC News poll asked Republican voters whether they're more of a supporter of Trump or of the Republican Party. And listen to this, because I saved this part for last. Donald Trump, his support went so high, 41 percent said they support Trump more than the party. That's up seven points this summer. 41% said they support Trump more than the party. In May, it was 58% of Republicans said they identified more with the party, 34 with Trump. It's his party. He owns it. He owns it like he owns golf courses where real billionaires play. He owns it like he owns vats of orange spray tan goo. He owns it like he thinks he owns classified documents. He owns this party like he owns Ted Cruz's manhood and Lindsey Graham's dignity. He owns this party like Deutsche Bank owns his debt. In four years, this has only happened to one man in our country. But in four years, one man lost the popular vote twice. He lost the House, lost the Senate, lost the White House, got impeached two times. And gosh darn it, the fans want more. Keep in mind, these polls show what the Republican Party is now, which is the more you liberals hate him, the more we love him. So we're locked into this. Sorry, liberals. But this is what happens. Trump knows it. He exploits it. He recognizes it because Trump supporters don't really love anything as much as they hate you. And that's what unites them. It's not family values. It's not the Bible. It's not fiscal responsibility. It's not strength. It's not honesty. It's not being a good person. It's not that he's a good dad. It's not that he was so good with the economy. It's hating the libs. That's what being a Republican means. So in closing, all I can say is after this weekend, Gary Busey, is now perfectly positioned to announce his GOP campaign for Senate. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. I'm so pleased to welcome John Nichols back to the show. Anytime I can get John Nichols, we're always glad to just bring him in here and, and just bleed him dry for his brilliance and compassion. He is the National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation, a contributing writer for The Progressive and In These Times, and the Associate Editor of Madison, Wisconsin's Capital Times. He's written many great books, uh, most recently, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers, Accountability for Those Who Caused the Crisis. It is one of the best and most enraging books about COVID-19 and who got rich off of it that you will ever read. John Nichols, welcome back to SiriusXM. John, it is great to be with you, my friend. We haven't talked to you in a couple of months, Mr. Nichols, and you know we're, there's a lot going on. First off, everyone will be glad to know uh, the Finnish government has not collapsed after the video emerged of their prime minister, Sana Marin, uh, partying with friends at a bar in yep. Helsinki. Uh, apparently, their economy is fine, um, but uh, this was the greatest scandal that ever happened. Uh, a head of state being attractive and having fun. Americans have no frame of reference for this. No, they do not. And, and you know, actually, the Finns have pretty much united behind her, so it's mainly an international scandal, like the Daily Mail in, in Britain is all excited about it. Um, but I, as best I can tell, and I love this, this scandal because it's, it's actually my favorite scandal of recent years, because uh, the controversy appears to be that the prime minister of Finland is cool. Yes, that yeah. she uh, that she hangs with her friends and dances and clowns around for cameras and um, and laughs a lot. Yeah, and That's like it. goes to rock concerts and wears cut off jeans and, and boots and, and a t shirt. And, and you know, it goes to my theory that that um, there's a very good argument for reversing the order on our age. For president saying that you can only be president if you're under 35 listen i'd, I'd get behind it that's uh, that was that was the plot of wild in the streets wasn't it <laughs> it was exactly the plot of wild in the streets with one of the one of the greatest soundtracks ever and uh and they i think they lowered the voting age uh they they did they lower it to 12 they lower the voting age to 12 and so this yeah. rock star becomes president and they put all the grown-ups on acid in communes yeah Absolutely. I that as a kid. Yeah, that could happen. <laughs> but you know what? It's actually it, it right now. It seems like, you know, maybe a documentary, like as opposed to, you know, a, a fantasy. <laughs> well, it's also going to be awkward because Joe Biden is 79 years old. And as we know, by the time we get to 2024, he will be 133 years old. And um, a month ago, his approval rating on Rasmussen was down to 36 percent, an all time low. As of today, as you know, Rasmussen, which is it's the conservative one. It's where the GOP always goes to. They said that Biden's approval rating has gone up 11 points to 47 percent, the best since September of last year. As he continues to rack up the wins, as we see gas hit its lowest price in 55 days and as we see the unemployment rate hit its lowest level in 50 years. Well, you know, there's this interesting thing about Biden. Many years ago, when he was running for president, the third time, second or third time uh, in 2007 at The Nation, we wrote everybody, you know, was writing about all the different candidates and they couldn't find anybody to write about Biden. And so I wrote about him and and I made the case 
at, at that time. Not that I, I mean, I, my sympathies might have lain elsewhere, but but I, I wrote about the argument for Biden. And it was that that very few people run for the presidency who actually know how government works. Right. Who kind of get it and right. have the patience that comes from that. And I think we're actually kind of starting to see this play out that Biden has had some rough things happen. He inherited a disaster. Um, he had to end a horrible war. Uh, he had to deal with a global pandemic and try to enact legislation with virtually no majorities in the House right. or the Senate. And um, instead of, you know, kind of wearing out and kind of burning out the way that Jimmy Carter did, you know, in a, in a very difficult situation, Biden kind of played the long game. And kept talking to people, kept working it. And, you know, if you're going to hit your stride at any time, I would recommend right before the midterm election. I mean, Schumer deserves some credit for this, I think. Schumer deserves a lot. And give Pelosi her due as well. You know, everybody's everybody's done their part. And and frankly, um, let us also thank the U.S. Supreme Court, um, because the U.S. Supreme Court has shown us exactly why. Um, you may not want to have a Republican president or a Republican Senate. Absolutely. And and again, the Supreme Court gets their credit. But let's just look at this summer alone. I mean, just this summer of all the obituaries for this White House and all these petulant, trifling Democrats talking about, you know, replacing him on the ticket and what have you. In just the last two months, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the CHIPS Act. Which is going to create? I mean, the Chips Act to me, John, should be called a manufacturing bill because it's going, it's well, going to lead to so much manufacturing in America. And it's it, the Chips Act. The biggest. This is why Chips and the Inflation Reduction Act. Which, let's be honest, Inflation Reduction Act is you know like an aspiring name. Yeah. Uh, but the the fact of the matter is that, that what they both are is something that uh, dare not have spoken its name until very recently in American history. In fact. Most Democrats still don't have the guts to actually say it, but it's industrial policy. It's what uh, works in Germany and Scandinavia and the rest of the world. And that is that you plan years ahead. And you say, we want to put money aside. We want to invest in future of the economy. We want to look for places that aren't getting the support they need and move money there. We want to get people to invest in things. I mean, this is classic industrial policy. It has worked very, very well in other countries and, you know, slowly but surely, quietly. And I think with a big uh, push from Jared Bernstein. uh, Yes. I think the Biden administration is actually, you know, playing with a little bit of industrial policy. And I'm going to give them high marks for that. I I, I agree. On top of that, you've got the PACT Act, which is a huge win for veterans and actually uh, called the GOP's bluff and showed how little they care. You've got the first, I mean, significant gun safety legislation in what, 30 years you, yep. you got yep. you, you, taking out the leader of Al Qaeda, um, historically low unemployment, uh, first black woman on the Supreme Court. I mean, it's 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 it seems to be going pretty well as summers go for this White House. Well, yeah. And then I think the two other things that actually probably matter the most are those things that are somewhat intangible. They are difficult. You're, you hope they they go your way and, and you can do some policy things to move it. But, you know, gas taxes flattening out and uh, are going down. And inflation actually, you know, seeming to uh, at least the rate of growth in inflation slowing. And uh, that's really, really important uh, because it, it's not everything you want, but it is the suggestion that things might be moving in the right direction. 
And then finally, the last thing to throw on, the, on top of that is the only thing that, that kind of counters inflation is you, if you have strong job growth. And Biden's looking at record job growth. So, you know, that's it's pretty good. You know, on balance, it's a pretty good uh, hand of, that you've been dealt. And then, uh, of course, thank you, thank you, thank you to Donald Trump for nominating literally the most crazy an unelectable set of Republican candidates, probably in the party Amazing. system. Well, let's let's say at least since 2012. I mean, I'm having Christine O'Donnell witch flashbacks. I'm having Todd Egan legitimate rape flashbacks. I think you're thinking 2010. 20, was that 2010? I thought it was 2012. I could be wrong. You might be right. No, you're yeah, right on some of that. But yeah. remember in 2010, who was the woman that they ran? They, they, the woman they ran against Harry Reid. That was so critical in 2010 because they got they got like a real right winger. Oh, that's think, right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like Jan and Brewer is so, crazy sister. Yeah. But you're right about you're right about your your 12. And it's just that there were a couple cycles there where the Tea Party actually um, proved to be incredibly beneficial for the Democrats, because in what were going to be kind of tough, maybe bad years for the Democrats, the Tea Party gave uh Democrats in in tough situations, opponents that they could beat. Yeah, and I think well, that's, that's what Trump is doing now. That's what exactly what's going on here. I mean, and and we're seeing it time and time again. Donald Trump's addiction to celebrity is leading yeah. him to go to the the most famous name on a ballot. Be it be it the the NFL guy, be it the guy who had a book that was made into a movie, be it the guy who had a reality show and was a doctor who was a quack. Like as long he his his equation with. Ratings equals popularity equals electability is proving to oh, be yeah. a real gift to Democrats. But but also it's let's be honest, there's, true. there's also imbecilic incumbents that yep. voters are finally becoming wise to. You of course join us from the great state of Wisconsin, which I love very dearly. Um, and I've always said of all the senators I've ever met, Ron Johnson is by far the dimmest. Uh, I, I got to say though, it seems like Wisconsin voters are starting to figure it out. It's been really interesting watching how that race has played out in your state. It is very, very interesting. And look, here's the bottom line on Ron Johnson. Um, Ron Johnson kind of dumb lucked his way into the Senate, uh, initially by marrying right into a wealthy family. Yeah. Um, but then he, so he had an extra 10 million sitting around to spend on a Senate race. But he ran in, you know, an election year uh, that, you know, it, you, it was a good year for Democrats or for Republicans. I apologize. And that was 2010, and, and he made it through. He beat Russ Feingold. And then in 2016, um, again, facing Feingold, uh, he had the luck of, of Trump's you know, successes in industrial areas of the upper Midwest, and that pulled him through there. Um, and the interesting thing about both those cycles was polling before each of those elections showed that the overwhelming majority of Wisconsinites knew nothing about Ron Johnson, didn't, huh. didn't know him from Adam. And so he was able to kind of paint, a, you know, a palette. You know, he had a palette that he could paint on. He could create himself for each of those election cycles. And it was it was, you know, enough to get him into the Senate um, running against an, an incumbent or a former incumbent running in a good year for Republicans, et cetera. This year may well still be a reasonably good year for Republicans. But the fact is, no longer is Ron Johnson unknown. He is absolutely known as a wild-eyed conspiracy theorist who, you know, was had all sorts of crazy ideas about COVID, all sorts of crazy ideas about vaccines, 
all sorts of crazy ideas about the 2020 election. And it's now been, you know, well documented, uh, somehow figured out as a United States senator how to get a whole lot richer uh, since coming to the Senate. And the fascinating thing about that is there's no question Ron Johnson was a lousy businessman. He was really not good at it, but he's been a very successful senator, at least from the standpoint of, of expanding his uh, his bank book. Um, and so all of this, I think, has come to haunt him. And uh, and I think he's got a little bit of Trump, Trump baggage as well. So we had a poll a that bit. came out the other day that showed uh, Mandela Barnes, his very impressive Democratic opponent, with a uh, seven point lead. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's just it's it's just Ron Johnson seems like one of those forces who's just there. No one knows why he's there. And it seems like nothing will displace him. It's been rather inspiring seeing how the different Democrats running for the party's nomination have managed to coalesce around Mandela Barnes. It's been a lot of unity in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, look, the one thing in Wisconsin is that Democrats absolutely want to get rid of Ron Johnson. It's it's a you know blood oath sort of thing. And so as a result, if you were a Democrat that, that you know, upset that process or got in the way of that, um, you're you would have no future career. Right. This is the one thing that, that Democrats are, are deeply, deeply united on. And so uh, when Mandela Barnes opened up a lead, um, one of the uh, candidates who was running against him in the primary, we had the primary August 9th, but one of the candidates running against him, a guy named Tom Nelson, uh-huh. who was very, very progressive, a Bernie Sanders delegate, uh, a Democrat who did very, very well winning in conservative uh, Fox River Valley area. Um, he looked at the situation. He knew he couldn't win. He knew he was the other progressive in the race. So he dropped out and endorsed Mandela Barnes. Yeah. And that that then caused the other candidates to drop out because they knew that that was a sufficient boost for Barnes. that He was he was going to win. Right. And um, so you ended up in a situation where Barnes coasted through the primary, even after having all these credible opponents. And here's my favorite fact for you, John, and I know you're going to appreciate this at the highest level. Mandela Barnes, having had opponents who spent $25 million to, to beat him, some dropped out. He still had several active opponents on the ballot, right? He won with about 80% of the vote. Ron Johnson, who had a guy who filed against him, who spent so little money that he didn't even file a campaign finance report, had no TV ads, wasn't interviewed any place. He got seven, almost 17% of the vote. So Ron John, 110,000 Republicans voted for nobody rather than Ron Johnson. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, it's like jazz. John, I, 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 I'd be most remiss if I didn't ask you about an article in the, uh, the nation recently where um, you and some of the editors and writers uh, decided to get together and have a brainstorming session sort of on who you guys would like to see be the Democratic Party nominee in 2024, at least who each of you would think would be the the most electable uh, or the best candidate for the party. Uh, Joan Walsh said Joe Biden. Other people said Bernie Sanders. You went with a name that uh, was delightful, even if unexpected. Yeah. You're a Ro Khanna guy. Well, it, here's what I did. I, I happen to agree with, basically agree with Joan, right? That A, whether you like Biden or not, He's going to be the nominee, right? If he wants to run, it, it, he will be the nominee. And so, but I never pass up a chance to write about politics. And so I, I decided to take a look at Rokana. And the reason I wanted to write about Rokana is 
he's been out on the campaign trail this summer. He's been, you know, traveling all over the country, doing tons of stops in battleground states, you know, all sorts of key states around the country. Right. And it looks almost like a presidential campaign. And yet when you talk to Rokana, he says, if Biden runs, I'm for him. And I think he's going to run. So, you know what I mean? You're like, well, okay, yeah. what the hell are you doing, Rokana? Well, he's out there making an argument. Uh, and it's a, it's a terrific argument. And that is that the Democratic Party needs to modernize. It needs to get into the 21st century. And it needs to have a, a great plan for renewing communities that have suffered deindustrialization. It has to have industrial policy. Remember, he was a key player on the CHIPS Act. Uh, and it also has to merge this economic renewal for smaller cities, for rural areas that have many of which have gone uh, to the, toward the Republicans. It's got to merge this commitment to economic renewal with progressive policies on healthcare, education, et cetera, and a foreign policy that is aimed toward competing with China, but not having a war with China. And it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see him out there doing this. Uh, and so I was delighted to write about him. It's a great piece in the nation. Everyone should read it. Mr. Nichols, it's been too long. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. What's the best way for our listeners to keep up with your work? Nichols Uprising uh, on Twitter and uh, www.thenation.com. And uh, and you can come there. There's, I, I'm always writing. In fact, I'm literally writing about Ron Johnson for tomorrow because he said that he shouldn't have to testify before the January 6th committee because he was only involved in the fake electors plot for a couple of for seconds. a couple of seconds. We're going to play the audio later in the show. Mr. Nichols, it's always an honor. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with your calls on progress. Steve in New York, welcome. John, how's it going? Great. How are you? Good. Uh, long time listener. I was the official... Uh gay uh, real estate agent of the Stephanie Miller Show in New York. Back oh, right on. What, wonderful. Thank you for your service. Yeah, and, yeah, anyway, so I just want to talk about, like, so I've been listening to you and Steph for going on, you know, 12, 13 years. God, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, sorry for all of it. A, I'm sorry for all of that. Go on. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I just, I, I really, I really got I kind of want to take it to task because I was listening to some old Stephanie Miller podcast when you used to come on for an hour back in the day, like back okay. in 09, 10, and you used to be Real, a lot harder on the corporate media, and it seems like ever since the Trump years, like the people like Stelter and everybody on MS on the corporate media, I just don't. I feel like you're not really understanding that they've never been on the side of the left. They've always never represented leftist view, viewpoints on the air, yeah. any of the corporate media. And yeah. Brian Stelter was no exception. I'm not going to miss the guy because he really never was on our side. He would pander and have Amy Goodman on him once in a while. And yeah. Amy Goodman would take would tear him a new asshole, and Brian Stelter would never have him on again. And the funny thing is, I just don't understand why people are saying, "Oh, are we going to trust CNN anymore?" They've always uh, been been against any progressive causes. They never yes. talk about universal health care or anything yeah. about you know bring scaling down the empire. So there should be no love, love. I'm a little bit confused. Ever since the Trump years, sure. there seems to be this. This, this, like Dino Vidal has people on from MSNBC and CNN all the time, and it drives me nuts because they're not on our side. So I got, I had to call you out, John, for basically missing Stelter. They've never, he was Wait never a on second. our side. Okay. It's really, do I, never can I participate? Thing. Okay. Now, now, yeah, first sorry. off, first off, I'm going to remind you 
that uh, I, and I have people from CNN and MSNBC on this show. I have people from CNN and MS guest host this show. I go on MSNBC. I go on CNN. I go on Fox. I go on News Nation, BBC, all this stuff. Um, yeah. I, I was just saying, literally, when I was talking about Stelter, I was talking about how our media's only bias is towards ratings, numbers, etc. That's Correct. it. Our media is corporate. Our media is not liberal. I would love a liberal media, but if they were liberal, they'd be talking about unions, right? They'd be talking no, about climate. They'd be actually... Di- I- I've said this many, many times. The media is only as liberal as the corporations that own it. So I've never, I mean, never put out that this is a liberal media. I've said it many, many times. I've said MSNBC is pro-Democrat, but they're not liberal. Just as I've said, Fox yeah. News is pro-Republican, but I would never call Fox News conservative. So I'm not, oh, really, no, sure, not really sure what I've done here that deserves the umbridge. No, I'm I mean, I'm, I'm Catholic. No, I think you did say me specifically. And it's uh, I'm raised Catholic, so well, I always no, want to no, blame no, myself anyway for everything. But... Um, Go ahead. No, I'm not trying to blame you, but I'm not. I'm not oh, I was I, I was thrown off by the pronoun you, and when you said take you to task, I was thrown off by the pronoun you. Because I, I feel like I feel like in the past when I listened to you, like I said, I go way back listening to you going back to the 2008 election and the first yeah. term of the Obama administration, and yeah. I remember you going on on Stephanie when she broadcast from New York City, like blocks yeah. from where I live, and she would yeah. always, you guys would always, you guys were always taking them to that da- to task, and it seems like ever since the Trump years. Like, if, I feel like there's, you, but you've warmed up to the corporate media more than you guys. You guys used to have more of a dissonant stance, especially you. And I've always respected you because, John, you're the one person out there. There's very few people. I'll give you credit for this. Everybody, uh, you're the one person that realizes that Bush and Cheney, the Bush crime family, uh, was a lot worse than Trump. And I do believe that, yes. That. And I, I, I think you do because... Well, yeah, I think Trump's uh, in many ways a worse person than Bush and Cheney. But, yeah, I yeah, think the Bush... better table matter. That's the only reason why. That's well, and he's different. got actually Bush and Cheney have better table manners. Uh, but yeah, you know, yeah, you know, but but again, I, I'm with you on when we talk about the corporate media. I praise them when they're right. When CNN finally began saying the word lies about Donald Trump instead of prevarications or demonstrable falsehoods, I said, great, CNN, you're finally doing it. I treat the media the way I treat the Democratic Party. I'm yeah, not going to sign on for blind obedience, but I'll praise them when they get something right and I'll call them out when they don't. Agree? Would you agree when Andy Lack took over in 2016 that MSNBC kind of took a new direction where they fired Crystal Ball, they fired Alex Wagner, they said we're going to do quote-unquote straight news? And I remember, like, I could just think of, like, Rachel Maddow for one thing. I noticed the lack of progressive voices on MSNBC. It used to be liberals like Naomi Klein, they used to have Bill McKibben. Ed Schultz. And it went from Ed people Schultz. like Naomi Klein to intelligence Ed, community officials. Ed Schultz. Where we used to... We used to we used to call out torture and extraordinary rendition and Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay. Now we put the people on. We we worship and and and, and, and deify people like John Brennan, who are the architects of the, the stuff that the left used to fucking hate. And that's what I, I don't understand. Why do we why do we deify the intelligence community when right, Rachel Maddow used to call out the FBI routinely for Quintel Pro for basically what they did to MLK? And okay, now, well I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to jump in and participate. Steve, right. Steve show. Steve, Steve, Steve. Here's the deal. Um, we we talk all the time about how when you have this is what I call the uh, the blade two of presidencies. Okay, I I'm gonna get really scientific now. You have blade. And he fights vampires. Uh, and then yeah, there's Blade movie. 2. And in Blade 2, which I think is a better movie, I don't know how Chris Christopherson still lives, but he does somehow. And in Blade 2, uh, Blade, who wants to go around killing more of these vampires, well, suddenly there's a new breed of vampire. 
It's stronger. It's more evil. It feeds on vampires. And Blade, who fights vampires, has to team up with the vampires he hates to fight the super vampires from killing everyone. Now, I will forgive just about everyone for having Republicans who've been wrong about everything uh, becoming strange bedfellows for liberals and Democrats. We have become so nostalgic for Republicans who are just wrong in the face of Republicans who are wrong and evil or wrong but and malevolent think, or wrong and dishonest. I think it goes deeper than just Republicans because I don't know what like people like John Brennan or the people like Michael Hayden or James Woolsey, who basically in 2015 was like, oh, yeah, we got some, some, some great intelligence from torture. And all I see on MSNBC, these to be a center-left network. I don't know if these people are Republicans, but all I see are the architects of torture, rendition, I know. autonomy. I mean... But I'll remind you, I'll remind you when MSNBC, when when the Iraq war started, MSNBC was a conservative outfit. They had Joe Scarborough on every day attacking people who protested the war. They fired Phil Donahue from his highly rated show because Phil was so opposed to the war. Again, I said it then, I said it now. The media's bias is towards ratings. And eventually MSNBC realized, oh, wait a second, trying to be Fox is not helping anyone. Everyone's trying to chase the Fox audience when they became the anti-Bush channel uh their ratings got better when they had keith when they had rachel and that was where the channel really found its footing and now for better or for worse for a dozen or so years we've gone with this msnbc format we've all gotten used to cnn goes back and forth i've always said msnbc for for being a so-called liberal channel it's not it's pro-democratic party but they hire more true conservatives there are more real conservatives working at msnbc than there are working at fox news I mean, you got George Will, you got Joe Scarborough, you got plenty of actual conservatives there. But but again, it's 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 a sliding scale. I mean, there's gradations of it and there's lots of good stuff on all these channels. And I don't agree with everything Fareed Zakaria does, but I still watch his show because it's a good show and it's well put on. I don't agree with everything Bill Maher says, but I watch his show. Uh, I mean, I don't see how we've sold out to the corporate media so by saying... Selling out. I'm just saying the issues that used to be sacred cows to the liberal progressive movement, like being against torture, being against signals of intelligence surveillance, being against... Still against it. CIA. Still against it. Yes, and I, what I mean, I'm saying is I'm seeing people that watch these MSNBC, are, they're embracing the people that used to be the architects of these horrible policies, like torture, rendition, warrantless wiretapping. We, so, we beat Bush over the head at, over, over that. At, at a day. certain now, point, it's like, John Brennan was an Obama appointee, though, not a Bush appointee, just to put that in there. But go ahead. Well, at, no, a saying, point, well, Steve, at a certain overall, point, Steve, at a certain point, Steve, the war on terror under that stand, both Bush and Obama administrations, the whole the architects of these horrible programs that Ray yes. Maddow used to go on her show and escorgate the FBI for attacking the left. People forget yeah. that the FBI was all was, was hated the left, the CIA, you know, the the the, the Mitchell and Jessup. The, the torture programs, and now we have a bunch of nothing but CIA alums on MSNBC, and because they're it's going not after nothing Trump, but CIA alums, and John Brennan deserves to be called out for his torture defense, and then his pretending he didn't defend torture. He eventually came out against waterboard boarding after a while, but but again, John, hang on, hang on, whoa, please down. let me respond to one thing you're saying. Yes. Oh, he's got uh, praising the FBI. Listen, it's one thing to say, oh, what the CIA did here was wrong. And it's another thing to say, hey, Donald Trump's comments about the FBI are lies. Those two things can coexist. We can walk and chew gum mentally at the same time. I, 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 I totally get I what you're like saying, but I'm not claiming MSNBC's liberal. I don't, I've never claimed it's a liberal channel, ever. I've said it's a pro-democratic party channel. I think, 
I think it's gone. It's 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 gone from not being. I was there when they fired. I was there when they fired Ed Schultz because Ed was too pro union. Yeah, they, they fired. They, they fired Ed Schultz. I mean, like they did. They did a lot. Of, I remember. I remember, like back in the day, Amy Goodman called out Chris Matthews to his face for the secret memo about Phil Donahue. I mean, like what all I'm saying is, and I, am, I appreciate you all the time. All I'm saying is, that I think MSNBC has gone from center left to even more slightly to the right since 2015, okay. and that's because Anzi Lack took over and said, we're going to be a quote-unquote news network, and he basically got rid of all the commentators except for Hayes O'Donnell and Maddow, and basically yeah. got rid of the progressive ideas, and it literally, he, they moved into the middle, and then Trump comes along, and then, like, you, I've never, I haven't heard Rachel Maddow say anything bad about the FBI for about 11 years. And it's kind of like, I just feel like their, their because... vision has shifted since 2015 because okay. they've almost forgotten where they, their roots or where they came from. So where do you get your news? Where do you where do you go for your news, Great Steve? Great question. Uh, Democracy Now! Every Day. Um, right on. I listen to Pacifica. I mean, like, I listen to Me too. Uh, a lot of pretty much uh, uh, Richard Wolf Economic Update. I mean, I listen. I, I read a lot of, like, Truth Out. But John, here's another thing. I, like... There was a guest that that used to be on like a lot of liberal talk radio, uh, Marjorie Cohen. Everybody who respects international law believes that Biden committed a war crime by killing Azawahiri, and nobody talks about that. Okay. I mean, this, this, issue, this issue was an issue in 2011 when Obama was killing I mean, Anwar al-Awlaki, the Colorado native, with a hang on a second, that was unconstitutional. Well, I don't know what hang to tell you. I said I was, against, I was against assassinations when Obama did it. I was against assassinations when Trump did it. I was against assassinations when, when Biden did it. I'm, I'm generally Steve. not in favor of killing people. Go ahead, Chris. Okay. I, well, I, I, the night that it happened, we spent any time we talked about it on this show, John addressed it as an assassination. It's a war crime, Chris. Is what it is. If you look, yeah, all the experts well, have been This law. is a synonym. Okay, that's it's fine. Assassinations yes, tend to be war crimes. Yes, you're right about. It, it that. Fine. Listen, I, I was listen, Steve. Convention, I, I, when, when Obama was president, I was on, I was, I was on current TV every night talking about the blowback of the drone campaign, talking about the language the Pentagon used by saying that anyone they kill is an imminent threat, and if we say they're imminent, even if they're not going to be a threat for ten years, we still get to call them imminent. The abusive language that was done to kill people, to talk about how anyone killed, even bystanders that innocent bystanders that were killed in drone strikes were referred to as militants and counted as militants. I've criticized Obama's administration every day over this sort of thing. Steve, you have to learn how to have a conversation, Steve. I love you about that, John, but what I'm saying is now you don't hear anything about Zawahiri from the left about Biden committing war crimes, violating the Geneva Conventions, the UN Charter, the War Powers Act of 73. It was a blatant... I know. International war crime. I know. And the reason, but do you know the reason why? Do you know the reason why? Because people are so terrified of the creeping fascism represented by the host of Celebrity Apprentice that they are willing to overlook a lot of very unliberal things done by a Democratic White House. And it's scary and it's wrong. And we should still criticize this White House. But if I can have Joe Biden committing war crimes over Dick Cheney or Donald Trump committing war crimes. Yeah. Generally speaking, I'll go. And we've talked on this show a lot about how you can completely not like the fact that Eisenhower's worst nightmare has come true in the military industrial complex is being fed by the by this proxy war in Ukraine while also still 
thinking it's good that we're helping because Russia's evil and what Russia's doing is evil. You got to hold yeah. two thoughts at once to be sane in this America right now. And I do hold two thoughts, and that's why I'm saying that's why I've been listening to you for the last 13 years because you're maintained, you you're, you've been consistent, and that's why I love you because you've always you've never you. wavered. And that's why I love you for that. But what I'm saying is, like we need to pick on for the AD Ukraine thing is he up on principle and the fact that there's no oversight and the the, the squad and the liberals in the, the house were supposed to be answered they just made it that an eye and say hey maybe paul has a point maybe we should have some oversight to this we're anti-war what are we doing giving blank checks to no oversight and you know and what i have to hit a, i got i gotta hit a break steve but what i think what i'll say to you is i wouldn't be surprised if you'll see more democrats begin to criticize this administration's war policy in ukraine after november's midterms you know what i'm saying that's what I'm saying. They're going to hold off on criticizing because they don't want to have a circular firing squad because that's what Democrats are most famous for. They are a yep. very imperfect party. I've never belonged to the Democratic Party. The Republicans consistently force me to vote for them anyway. Thank you very much for the call, Steve. I appreciate it. All the things I do that I don't do. Quick one. We'll be right back with your calls. 866-997-4748 going all the way till midnight. And I'm really curious. Where do you get your news? Where do you get your facts? What do you trust still? We'll be right back. Let's go to the phone. Steve in San Diego. Thanks for waiting on hold. Welcome. Hi, John. Hi. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you for everything you're doing. I think you're a real patriot because you speak truth to power and to the insane. Thank so, you. I thank you for your service. I'm very grateful but, to you. Thank you. Oh, here it comes. Steve, okay. Steve from New York. Yes. Now, if Steve from New York believes that a grown man, albeit a psychopath, who throws his food at the wall in the White House has better manners than anyone else, and than anyone else other than Helen Keller in the first scene of dinner scene of the uh, miracle worker. Mm hmm. I would not trust his judgment on anything. Mm. And I don't think he gets that. But this morning, as of 6, 10 a.m., one of my most trusted sources of news was CNN. And yeah. that popped up on my CNN site when I opened it up. And I commented, said, yes, you're one of the most trusted sources for me. Fifteen minutes later, when I opened up the site and saw they canceled... Canceled uh, reliable sources. I couldn't call Gil, get back to them, and tell them I retract that statement. Wow! So they've fallen to the bottom of my list, and they're going to have to earn my trust back. But what I'm really calling about is I'm calling. But I, look, can I just build on what you just said? Can I just build on what you just said? Okay. Um, uh, and again, because our last caller took me to task over this, I've been on reliable sources. Brian Stelter's always been nice to me. Get along with him just fine. Uh, if they had fired him. Because he had lied, right? Or if he had me tooed himself, if he had done something untoward, I would understand it. If they had fired him and canceled the show because the ratings were poor, I would understand it. But the fact that neither of those things were the case and that they have this new merger going on and that John Malone, the libertarian billionaire, was mentioned by Brian Stelter multiple times when he was talking about the merger of his own parent company it's a really important story. And this is not just oh. a, a news organization that will report on other news channels, but they'll report in-house on themselves. And they haven't 
given us the reason why Stelter was fired. It's got nothing to do with Stelter as a person or as a broadcaster. Uh, right wing people say a lot of mean things about him. I'm not really into that. Uh, he, again, he's always been nice to me. But I think it's a, a legitimate story, even if you're not a fan of Stelter, because what was the reason? So I'm sorry. Go right ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, but, he, but they, you know, they silenced somebody who spoke truth to power. And I would feel the same way about progress if they fired you. Yeah. You know, because somebody bought this, you know, bought the station. Mm. In any event, yes. back to forgiving. I'm Steve, sure there'll never be any venture capitalist billionaires having any influence within the uh, ownership no. echelons of Sirius XM. It's the same guy. The same guy. Same exact Student loan debt. Same exact guy. He, uh, the president has to forgive up to $50,000, and he needs to get the message out there that we need Congress. We need a stronger Congress, which means more Democrats in the House. And we've got to get rid of the filibuster to get a program through Congress that treats our higher education like infrastructure for this country, like our military infrastructure, where we provide student housing, student family housing. We provide, yeah. uh, you know, more cafeterias, you know, and that's how we can tackle the cost of, you know, the cost of higher education. We really need to treat our educational, higher, particularly higher education, as part of our infrastructure, like bridges and roads, because that's what's going to get us ahead in this in this world. I agree with you completely. But, you know, whenever America needs to find money for a war or for bailing out corrupt banks that ripped us all off, we can find the money. But when it comes to student loan debt and 45 million Americans who can't even climb the economic ladder because they've got 400 pounds tied around their necks in the form of the student loan debt. I, I, I don't think we're going to do any better than Biden. What the White House has said they're leaning towards canceling up to $10,000 in student loan debt per borrowers who make less than 125000 Now, that's nowhere near the 50K you speak of, and it's nowhere near oh, what we need for a real substantial stimulus. But let me, let me ask you, I mean, if, if the average median owed for federal student loan debt in the country is 20 grand, this means that roughly half of the federal student loan debt will be forgiven. And again, you know, there, there's all the predatory interest rate lenders out there to make it even worse. I mean, I'm for forgiving all of it. Yeah. I'm forgive, for forgiving all debt. That's what the Bible says. But if it's only $10,000 in student loan debt for borrowers who make under 125K, is that going to backfire on Democrats? Because a lot of people oh, are going to say, I, people will say, I didn't get my student loan debt repaid, or why are we repaying this and not the other? Yeah. Or, or will it really help a lot of young people come a lot closer to getting out of debt and motivate them to show up and vote in November? Yes, and, and it's going to motivate the young ones who are acquiring student debt if we make a commitment that Congress is going to move forward to tackling student debt by providing a housing, student housing, student family housing, more cafeterias so they get discounted meals. I yeah. think that's one way to approach it. But if we put that on the table, I think the people will understand that we're not only committed to you know, getting rid of this debt, but getting rid of future debt by avoiding it. Yes. I, I think Biden's missing a huge opportunity. Where do we get the tax money? As I said before, 
we we you know we tax the billionaires and the name and the name we give that act is tax the fucking billionaires to pay for education tax. I'd act. love to see it and it's we popular, really but but you know that's not going to happen with this particular I know. Congress. Oh God, I know. It's, right? It's just not yeah, going to happen now. If the Democrats. I'm wondering if the House can pass some oh. kind of, you know, pass the Rich Motherfuckers Act, let's say in December and then in January, oh. a brand new 54 strong Democratic Senate yeah. can make it law. I'd love to see that happen. But where it stands now, I know we always want to say tax the billionaires more, tax the rich their fair share, blah, blah, blah. We've seen what happens when it's 50-50 and two Democrats have been paid to oh, not I do know. that. No, that's so important. This is all about keeping, you know, keeping the House and getting enough senators in there to get rid of the filibuster. I yeah. feel okay about the Senate, but the House, if we lose the House, we're still stuck. I know, but that's my question. Will student loan debt help or hurt the Democratic cause this November? Oh, it will help. I'm convinced it will. I think help. it will, too. I think yeah. it will, too. I want to believe that young so people who I get can... helped will show up to vote. I saw... I grew I up saw... a Catholic. And... Okay, hang on. Chris, you want to weigh in? What do you see a poll today? <laughs> I saw a poll today there. So like, you know, there's a lot of money behind the idea of not canceling student debt and like back to work, Poindexter, pay your bills. Right. Um, and so the poll that they're trial ballooning today was that uh, a majority of Americans are concerned that if student loan debt gets canceled, it'll really hurt inflation. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. People God. having more money in their pocket to go out and buy stuff will hurt inflation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I had a lot of student debt years ago. Nothing like they got now. I paid it off. I don't feel bad about forgiving student loan debt. No, and same I pay here. a lot, a lot of taxes. I had to pay a, a lot, lot of, of student debt. I paid my wife student loan debt, and she had a lot. And I had to do a very silly network TV show to do it, but I was happy to do it. But I know what you're saying. You're and I mean, good, you you can't you're a good expect. Man, so. Well, I was very in love, but you, you can't expect anyone to be able to climb the economic ladder into the middle class when you are held back by student loan debt that can take decades to pay off. Now, I say let's go all the way. What kind of a shot in the arm for our economy would it be if all these young people, and by young people I mean 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, still mired in student loan debt? Imagine if they were, instead of using all that money paying banks to pay off student loan debt, they were using all that money to pay banks to pay for home mortgages. It's an investment. Yeah. It's, bottom line, is it's, it's an investment. It's an investment in a stronger but, middle class. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and we have to watch out for the future college students, too, and do something Same. about the, just the cost of education. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that there's air and water to support their college in the future as well. Hey, Steve, I really appreciate okay. your call. Okay. I really okay. do. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.